Tom Gerhardt and Dan Provost are the guys behind Studio Neat. On this show, we discuss entrepreneurship, product design, and all of the ups and downs that come with running a small business. I'm Mike Hurley, and this is Thoroughly Considered. So before we started recording today, we had some ideas for some topics, just some notes written down, and Tom just said, oh, should we talk about how our business has completely changed? <laughs> so I would like to dig into what that means. <laughs> is this an April Fool's? You know, you, we don't you know, know like, no. Mike. <laughs> have you ever been tempted? Not really. I, I feel like we have Studio Meet just uh, sitting there. Just like right if, there. It's like we're, we're, uh, we're pivoting to meat delivery. Uh, <laughs> But yeah, <laughs> we should do that. That'd be funny. That. I don't like April Fools. Yeah, like, I don't really um, either. They have to be really good. Stephen likes April Fools, <laughs> which is why we always have oh. an April Fools joke as a company. But I've kind of gotten to the point where, like, he knows I don't like them, but it's just kind of like I know he likes them, so I just let him do them. You yeah, know? that's fine. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's good. It's mm-hmm. give and take, you know. Yeah. It's a, it's a good partnership, you know. Mm-hmm. But anyway, <laughs> well, let's see. It does feel like a lot of things have changed. So here, here's the 30,000-foot view. As we've talked about, we started doing paid ads. Mm-hmm. And they started to work really well. And so very quickly, we ran into a bottleneck of being able to assemble enough stuff to keep up with the ads. So we had to like pause. We didn't pause the ads, but we paused like growing the budget of the ads. And um, so, but once we realized that like ad, like paid ads work really well, and it's something that we can use to grow the business really quickly, um, a lot of the things that we were doing intuitively uh, wouldn't work anymore because we don't have experience like intuitively running the business uh, with this new paid ads situation. And so it basically affects every part of the business. Just for some clarification, paid ads meaning like Instagram, Google, like what are you doing? Everything? Yeah, like Facebook, like Meta, like Facebook and Instagram, and then Google search. Google search ads too. Yeah. Okay. And so the first thing, obviously, is it affects cash flow, right? We have more cash coming in. But in the past, we had no paid traffic, and so the profit margins were more, right? So now we have this more cash coming in, but it's also coming out right away too, right? Because you pay these things on a cycle, and it's like a loop, right? So although you have all this money coming in, you also have to be paying off this credit card. So this like the whole cash flow becomes very different, right? So that's like one thing, right? And then the next thing that that trickles down to is because we're moving more product through the system, we have to be <clears throat> much more careful and planning about inventory and paying for that inventory, right? So in the past, we would like order the Mark One pin like once a year or oh, more. Like we would just make a big order, have it just sit because they're small parts so they can just sit in storage. It's not a big deal. And we'd like eat through that inventory. And then when we get to a certain level, it'd be like, okay, it's time to order more. But now that we have more stuff flowing through the system, the cash flow becomes something more tricky to manage, right? And the margins are lower on average, right? Because we're doing paid ads. And so it became very clear really quickly 
that we needed much more visibility into inventory, cash flow, projecting, and planning, right? Especially if we're going to plan on growing, like as soon as we catch up operationally with being able to assemble stuff, we're going to start increasing the ad budget, you know, little by little and growing. And that's a situation where you even have to track this even more. So at the same time as we started growing, we realized, oh, we need another person. We had one, but we need two people to do assembly and maybe three which meant, oh, we need to change the space that we're doing that in. And so slowly by slowly, we're, you know, we're building like this big inventory tracking system and we changed bookkeepers and we have like a financial consultant and we're like changing the way we're doing purchase orders and we're managing cash flow differently. And so it's like we're having like a line of credit we're applying for. So it's like this whole series of stuff that feels like it's touching literally almost every part of the business Although we're still fundamentally doing the same thing, like we're making the same products. We didn't launch any new products in this time period, but it's just this one little change made it clear that all this stuff that we knew we should have been doing was like actually just straight up critical, critical, critical. Because the big piece of this is that I'm, you know, that we're in the middle of right now is the reason why the inventory tracking is so important is because at the end of the day, that's actually like dollars right? The inventory is like money. And so we have to, from a financial planning and cash flow planning point of view, we have to be able to know like how that inventory is coming in and out and it has to resolve back to dollars. So we really need a really tight track on that, et cetera, et cetera. So it just feels like we're kind of in this sprint to operationally catch up and get our feet under us again so that we can then start growing uh, again were these things that you lost track of or were they things that you just weren't managing do you mean like specifically like inventory systems well like you said like the operations like the inventory management and stuff is yeah. it just something that you'd never really focused on in this way or was there like a time where you kind of set it up and then just didn't think about like we would keep track of inventory but in a very manual and kind of like crude way and it was a lot of intuition and kind of flying by the seat of our pants where it's like oh let's look at how many we sold last year okay let's see how much cash we have in the bank okay we can afford this much let's just buy those and that'll last us approximately a year or whatever Mm -hmm. but that kind of like loose math and kind of flying by the seat of your pants doesn't work in this kind of new reality like all the stuff that tom just said where you have this kind of like cash flowing in and out and and all these other things and so basically none of the stuff tom said is unusual for any business like this we're just catching up to what we should have been doing a long time ago probably and it's kind of a it's a gift it's really unusual and strange that we were able to last and sustain for so long without doing any of this stuff. Like the fact that we had basically zero paid advertising for over a decade is pretty much unheard of, uh, I think. And so that was a gift in a way, but it probably would have been nice maybe to have a like a wake up, an awakening to that earlier. So we kind of it wouldn't feel so uh, like hectic or necessary, but it's like we're doing, you know, we're 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 transitioning. It's like kind of the first phase of Studio Neat is over of like 
the young guys that kind of don't know what they're doing and they're figuring it out as they go to like, now this is like a proper business with all the like mechanisms in place to be a little machine that is like working properly. And, you know, don't get us wrong. Like we've built an inventory tracking system like two or three times, but it never felt like it was so critical and often we would just fall back to intuition to kind of make those decisions because the business was not really growing and it was kind of in a steady state and so like we just had a a hang of it you know but if we kept where we are right now for another three years we could develop that intuition again right but we're not planning on doing that we're planning on changing we're planning on growing and so we need a system that is responding to that velocity or to that change. And so that's, I, I think, a big part of this is we know that, like, this is not, we got to get used to the change and the kind of dynamics in the system. And so it's us really learning how to, you know, operate the business on that mode rather than kind of like a, a, a more of a steady state. In crude terms, what, like, how do you, build an inventory system like this like what are you what are you using we've tried lots of different things in the past and the thing we settled on is Airtable. oh okay which is you know pretty normal but um the thing that's tricky about it is not like oh we've built like a database like that's pretty trivial honestly it's more the internal systems that we use as a company to like move inventory check it in and out how it's organized how the parts are organized and so there's this whole kind of set of things where in the past it's been Dan and I with like institutional knowledge, like either we're doing it or one person's doing it and we can kind of just learn it and it's fine. But now we're, when more people are involved, we're really having to, you know, take that institutional knowledge that's in our heads, get it into a system so that other people can access it and use it. And it's like all this stuff is like obvious and like normal business operations. Um, but it's just interesting kind of going through it and we're going through it all at once really fast. <laughs> and so it's like, it feels, um, it feels just like, it's like a lot, you know, is it manual? Uh, is it a man- like quite manual process? The inventory. Tracking? It is when you, so, uh, there's two manual steps. One is like when, you know, when we do like an initial count and get everything into the system, that's manual. But then, you know, if you, let's say you assemble like a hundred Mark one pins, you just tell the system you've done that. And then it will take, it will subtract the parts that you use to do that and then add the pins. Like there's definitely a lot of smarts. Okay. So yeah, there's definitely manual parts, but that's not the hard part. Like counting things is really easy. You just get like a counting scale or like ways to do that. It's more, it's just like the operations. It's like building the system and the operations and maintaining it and making sure everyone understands it and is trained on it, that kind of thing. It's just like a whole new world. It's a whole new world of stuff that we weren't doing on purpose. You know, we made choices because we knew there's a lot of work to do it this way, that we made choices to not do it. Huh. But it's become clear that we have to do it now. And so it's 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 driving uh, like a lot of changes, which are good. And they feel like Dan said, it feels really good. It feels like these are all things we knew we should, quote, should be doing, but uh, never really felt necessary. But now it's just like, okay, this is necessary. So is this tool like that you built forecasting for you? Like, is that part of what it's doing? Uh, eventually, I mean, we can. Right now, the simple kind of data we use is just kind of like daily, like daily sale through sell through rate of the past thirty days. You know, yep. but yes, eventually 
it should be, you know, there should be forecasting. And it does. I mean, it does do forecasting. Basically, the metric we're building the system to, to index on is like, how many days of stock over the raw parts do we have, right? Because some parts take six months to get, some parts take two days to get. Yeah, we have to know like, oh, we're going to run out. We're not going to be able to make Mark 1s in 25 days because we're missing this part. And so it's really building a system so that we don't get caught off guard. Because like when you say about inventory, I'm thinking like, how many Mark ones do we have? How many panel books do we have? But it's not that simple for you. It's that you yeah. could have, in theory, enough parts to make a hundred black Mark ones or four thousand white Mark ones. And unless, yeah, depending on what you have, right? So yeah, it, exactly. it's that. I get it now. Like really, your main complexity is the inventory for the people to then assemble like you can hire someone to assemble but if you're not keeping track of how many springs you've got that's pointless right exactly i see i see and we've and we've kept track of it It but it's more it's just like we need the real-time visibility all the time and like like i said we've had dashboards and also it doesn't work if you're bringing other people in yes like it can't be your intuition like that that doesn't work like that at that point okay i get it exactly that's the whole game and the people that are helping us do some financial forecasting and planning they need the data too they need to be able to see like oh we need we're gonna need fifty thousand dollars in two months from now when this product runs out or whatever right like it's being able to do that kind of thing and so it's sim- it's simple enough to you know and we've looked at you know I've looked a lot at trying to find an off the shelf solution for this and it's just like doesn't we're at this weird scale where it just doesn't seem to be a good solution so anyways it's you know it's all good it's all feels like I would say like three or four months ago it felt overwhelming the business felt overwhelming in a bad way where it was like oh this is like not working we need to be like growing more you know like it feels stagnant and dying kind of. And now it feels overwhelming in like a good way where it's like, Oh, this is all good things, but it's like, everything's changing. It's all good. We've stuff we want to do, but it's like, wow, everything is changing. So it's uh, a, yeah, it's an interesting time. It's good, but it is like, I mean, if like our systems that we use, our internal systems, like everything's changed. Like the way we do email marketing, the way we do Legion, the way we do, I mean, it's like everything. And so um, it feels like we're growing up a little bit uh, in Mm -hmm. a lot of ways, which is good. But also there is, you know, trepidation like, wait, should we be doing anything? (laughs) Maybe the thing is we should be trying as hard as we can to not be assembling any of our stuff. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, oh, would that actually solve all the problems? (laughs) But I, I don't think that's true. But it's just, you know, you get into these you start thinking about like, hold on, wait a minute, should we be doing any yeah. of this? You know, but then. Yeah. Cause like, you're now building all these tools and processes based around the idea yeah. that you're assembling, yeah. but it's like, well, should we actually like, how far are we going to go down this road before we may realize that actually it would be more cost effective for us to never, yeah. we never touch yeah. a, you know, a, a knock, like they're all just, it all just comes assembled. Yeah. And it's interesting kind of the, the back and forth where it's like, when we first started with the glyph, you know, back in 2010 and the cosmonaut, it was like the thing we would talk about in, you know, blog posts and talks and stuff was like, we designed this to be 
kind of hands off where it's like the manufacturing happens. The manufacturer sent it direct. They packaged it and sent it directly to the 3PL, like the fulfillment place. And then they're able to handle the fulfillment. And so not only are we like, we have assembly in house and all these things. It's like, we're like seriously considering moving like order fulfillment in house eventually too. That becomes more feasible if we ever have like a proper like space where we can be like storing things and have, but now that we've gone down the path of having employees and having all this inventory tracking and, um, and these systems in place, it's like that actually doesn't feel like something that is that far away when, you know, back when we were living in, 400 square foot apartments in New York, it's like, well, obviously we're not going to do order fulfillment. Like that doesn't make any sense. Um, so it's kind of interesting. Like I said, you know, it's like there was phase one of studio need and it's like, we're very firmly kind of transitioning into phase two right now. And it's exciting. But it's funny. Cause we're actually in this awkward in between stage where yeah. if we were a little bit bigger, this would all make much more sense. Yeah. Like if we, if we increase revenue by a decent amount, then it feels like, Oh, we could really be comfortable at the scale we're at. But right now we're in this, like right now we probably have, we've built a system and, and the overhead is like too nice for what we have. And we're just because we're expecting to grow into it, you know, some. And so it is this weird kind of like, we're not used to doing that. Like our entire history has been so reactive and like organic where we're not going to try to project growth or sales or even try to grow. We're just going to like see what happens. But now, you know, we have some confidence that we can somewhat predict some growth and some projection. And it's like, okay, we should build for something that's a little bit bigger, uh, you know, hoping that that growth will come and so that we'll be ready for it. Um, Cause that's what it feels like right now where it's like the thing holding us back is the operations. They, that's literally the thing op- like holding us back from being a little bit bigger. So yeah. it's uh it's kind of, it's a whole new world in a lot of ways. And your chicken and egg was it ads? Like it was doing more paid ads that uncovered all of this. Yeah. Okay. And that that was one of you know we have like probably like four ideas for driving revenue growth, and that was the like one of the first ones we tried because it's just right there, obviously, and it works. It's just the achievable. Yeah. And right? so we right. have because I mean yeah. we spoke about them before yeah. some yeah. of these right like like partnering with brands more and yeah. doing all that kind of stuff but yeah th- this is one where th- all of that someone you, we spoke about before you need to get someone to do that but ads it's just like you mm-hmm. just put money in the machine yeah. like that's all it is and i'm really glad that that worked first because now we will have a way to like have more visibility into the cash flow and margins and everything and so i think the next move we make for like growing like a channel or some other move we'll just have way more visibility on like how to make that decision and move forward so it it feels good i mean it's like unfortunate that it feels so rushed and whatever but Mm. i think it sets us up for just like having the infrastructure and the operational efficiency to like take advantage of you know like a b2b sales channel yeah i i think it's probably there's probably no other way we could have done it that felt like a smooth grade or a smooth transition. Like I think there needed to be that little bit of a a bump that we have to climb over before we can then feel like 
this is good. And, and like, to be clear, like talking about growth and all this stuff, like we're not planning to be on a path of like, let's just grow indefinitely and see how big, let's see how high this rocket ship will fly. Uh, it's like, <laughs> I could see us settling at a place that's like still like single digit number of employees, you know, like we're not like, Oh, oh yeah. let's get this up to 50 yeah. people, you know, let's rent a huge office space and all that. It's like, no, we're still very much interest, interested in like the small business. Like let's keep things as simple as possible, but it's like, this is, the kind of necessary step to get to that next level where we're ha again, having this like machine. And like, I think the core of this also like to just rewind to like the very beginning is like, what is the point of this is like, we were stuck in a place where we were doing way too much stuff that was not designing products, which is how we deliver value to the world and through our company. And so it's like, how do we create a system that has other people doing these things like assembling Mark ones or whatever, so that we can invest our time back into creating new projects with products, which is what we want to be doing. And it's what our customers want, obviously too. So that's where this kind of all started. So I got some really good advice just talking to people about this. And they were saying is, you know, one really smart thing to do as you're kind of like growing a company is to think about it as like plateaus mm. rather mm. than like a ramp, mm. you know? So it's like you grow some and then you just settle on a plateau for a little bit and like let yourself catch up, make sure everything's good. And then you can grow again and then you plateau instead of like, you know, just like, oh, our target is growth. Like a lot of companies are like, what's the metric that we're thinking about? What's like the like key performance indicator. Oh, growth, like month over month or year over year growth. And that is absolutely not, I don't even know what our growth is. Uh, and so de like developing also at the same time, like, like what are the like KPIs that we're going after is also yeah. tricky. You know, so it's, it'd be really easy for us to be like, Oh, we're doing assembly. Well, the thing we need to optimize for is efficiency on the assembly. So, okay, Mr. Person that's doing assembly, like you need to do a hundred Mark ones a day, but it's like, that's the wrong metric because we actually care about quality. Like we need this to be good. So like, even if it takes longer, we want to have like a better finish or whatever higher quality control standards. And so it's like developing, you know, Dan and I have internalized those values, right? So it's easy for us to, it's not even a question, right? But when we're having to start to think about like performance targets or like motivating people or what's mm -hmm. the goals of the companies, you really have to like speak those things into the world. Like, oh no, I don't actually care how many you do a day. <laughs> I want it to be like this, this other thing that needs to be quality or whatever. So it's definitely, we're definitely in this whole new world, you know, it feels like a whole new world and, and yeah. trying to stay, I think trying to stay grounded in the values that we still believe in is like, it is the challenge, right? It's like, okay, let's not get too carried away with growth. Let's not get too carried away with some of this operational stuff that's data driven. Let's make sure, you know, we're still, you know, caring about the things we want to care about. So it's, it's, uh, it's, it's, tr it's tricky, especially when the, the more people we talk to, right, they're used to brands doing things a certain way and, we are probably still going to be doing things in a weird way relative to a lot of companies. And so it's, it's, uh, it's, yeah, it's an interesting time. Uh, it feels good. Like, again, I wouldn't trade it for the alternative, but it is like, 
everything feels like it's up in the air. <laughs> yeah, I'd say this is as is tends to be with this show speaking to me at an important time. <laughs> We're like so talking about the plateaus. So like I feel like with Cortex Brown, we've just left one. So like we had the journal, and it took us like two years to like get it to a point where we that was like a manageable product for us for understanding how it sold mm -hmm. and all that kind of stuff and we've been like settled on that for a while and now we have we've added sidekick notepad and that's boosted us up and i'm back in those same problems again we're gonna go out of stock next week and we're probably not gonna have stock again until i don't know july maybe because I wasn't expecting to go out of stock. Yeah. Like we ordered what we thought was going to be a year's worth of inventory, but it's gone really well. And we've got some, like we've been doing some ad stuff, but it, I don't know. I'm not sure how effective that is for us yet for some other reasons, but we've got some, um, like, what would you, what, what, what do you call it when somebody writes about you? Is, press. That, is that organic trap? Is it, do you call it press, right? Oh, like, you mean like traffic to your website? Yeah, probably organic. Yeah, like sales. Like, yeah. So, you know, that, and then also like, but it's just been going really well. So I'm really happy. But now I'm back in this place again where it's like, I don't, I don't know how many to order realistically. <laughs> yeah. Like, cause also yeah. it's really expensive. Right. So this is the yeah. thing of like, oh, I could order a hundred thousand, but yeah. I can't afford yeah. that. You know what I'm, so like, that's the, like trying to find that balance. Right. It's like, I, this is all going back to where we were in 2019, 2020, 2021 with the journal of like trying to find this balance of, I've got to order enough so we don't keep going into this cycle. Cause I feel like you can't keep doing this you can't keep like you can't ask someone to buy into this product and then whenever they want right. a new one they just right. get yeah. one right so like you can't, that can't keep happening i feel like you get one of those you know but then it's like i didn't never want to push it too far because it's like we're gonna bet right. the whole company right. on right. this restock yeah like, yeah exactly and so and similarly like gray has been building this like just insane number spreadsheet that's I don't even understand what it's doing, but it's doing like calculations of based on the last 30 days, how long does he think it will stay in stock? And so far it's proving to be correct. Whatever this thing is that he's built, I'm terrified of it. Like I don't know how to use it, but like, I feel like we're back in that place again and I have other things I want to be doing like with the company, but now like I'm just managing mm -hmm. the restocks mm -hmm. again, yeah. and like trying to plan that out. And it's like, well, we have some other things we want to do here, some changes we want to do here. Like we, we want to tweak the journal a bit, but now I can't do that because I've got a, all eyes on psychic notepad. So yeah, it's like this, it feels like this, like that, that plateau idea is so interesting to me because it's like you, you just go through this like hell for a while and then you're good. Yeah. yeah. And then it happens again, but it's, these are like these good, bad problems, but this is still tough. It's still like yeah, yeah, anxiety-inducing. And I think the thing that's you know, I think there's probably people listening to this who are like more like more like business-oriented people who are like either have business training or like that's the what this like the stew that they are in. And uh, a lot of these are like obvious. It's like this is every business, right? This is like the mm -hmm. problems, right? But I think we're at Studio Neat, and I think Mike at Cortex brand, like you guys are doing the same thing where it's like, we don't want this large operation. We want to leverage technology to like be as efficient and flexible as possible. And so 
like what in some places would be a very obvious decision. Like uh, you guys just need like to hire like a project manager or like operations person. Like, what are you doing? Just make that hire. It's a, it doesn't feel like that's an obvious choice because it feels like there maybe are systems and ways that can get us there without that. And so it, it is like this, I could be, you know, talk to me in two years and maybe it was like, oh, the best decision we ever made was like hiring a COO or whatever, right? Like, I, could, I have no idea. But uh, I ju- it just feels like maybe it's because of where we came from or like the internet first kind of like business things. But it just feels like there's still, I don't know if innovation is the right word, but there's still opportunity, I think, to kind of arbitrage and like use technology to arbitrage where our position and keep really low overhead and that kind of thing. Because I, I, the thing that I had this thought the other day, like mowing the lawn, I was like thinking about what Studio Need has been doing for the last 13 years. Like what actually are we doing? Like what's the business? And the business basically for our whole history was Dan and I have this set of skills where as the two people, we can like design and manufacture and advertise products with like no overhead, which meant we could serve niche audiences, right? So we could like make a keyboard case for an Apple keyboard only for this very specific (laughs) use, right? Like a very niche thing. But we could do that because it was worth it to us because it doesn't matter if it's a small audience because we have such low overhead that it works out for us. Like that's the game we've been playing for 13 years. So the question becomes, do we keep playing that game? Do we level up a little bit? Do we level up a lot? And though those are not simple little questions. It's like big fundamental things. And so if we start making moves where it's like, oh, yeah, we're going to hire a COO. We're going to do this and that. Then you have all this overhead that requires different scale for it to make sense. And so mm-hmm. it's like it's definitely this. We are growing and we're changing and we're moving, but we also want to stay really thoughtful and slow about it so that we can really make sure we're doing what we want to do. And so, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's cool. It's fun, but it it still feels like we have to sit in that being like a contrarian, like questioning space and not just kind of jump into the stream of like standard business practices. So I don't know. It's, I think those, those like standard business things, those MBA type things, they, it's, hard to apply those ideas to businesses like ours that are like self-funded small businesses where it's like yes you know what if you hired a coo maybe this would be better but like do you have coo salary money to just give to someone right like it's it's complicated because it's like well shouldn't we maybe use that money for stock instead like these things are they sometimes can seem obvious to companies where the people that work within them are not responsible for the actual money of the company. It's like the money doesn't mean anything. But like when it's your business and it, it's ultimately your money, like your money, these things become harder to take those bets on. Because if you're wrong, if you're wrong, it's like, well, how much of my own money have I just lost on making this bet and whatever that might be as opposed to like oh man my boss is going to be pretty frustrated that that hundred thousand dollar bet didn't pay out but like ultimately you just everyone just pulls up their socks and moves on again (laughs) because it's 
that's just what it's like. But when it's your money, that's yeah, it's different, right? Well, I think I think it also it has particularly to do with their with the scale, like the scale we're at and the scale you're at. Like, yep. it's kind of a, it's a very weird scale. Like, it's not like Etsy shop scale, like obviously couple person, one or two person business, and it's not like a twenty million dollar business with like a whole middle management and like you know 30 employees it's just like weird middle ground and for a long time studio neat was punching well above its weight like with the scale we were at with the number of people and now that was like painful and so we're gonna be like okay we will like give up some things to have like a more sustainable like better experience but the question is like can you survive in this middle ground or do you have to go up to this bigger scale or drop down like is there this weird middle ground? And my, and my hope is that we can, you know, leverage technology and our skills to stay a little bit bigger, but not like jump up to 30 people. Mm-hmm. But I think it, it kind of gets in this. We've heard from people our entire history. Like they're like, watch out hiring people because you get on this treadmill of overhead and you have to drive revenue to get the overhead and you get trapped into the cycle of hiring to like keep the flywheel going. And so it's just like, we don't want to probably to do that, or at least we don't think so. And so it's this, uh, I don't know, it's, it's, a, it's a, it feels, it's probably not that new of a thing. It's probably not that rare of a thing, but it feels that way just from seeing what exists in the world and like how things are priced. And like, it seems like everyone is wanting to push us into something that costs 10 times as much. Like literally the scale we were at four months ago, all the services we're using, the next price tier up that we need, and it actually is something we need, is like 10 times more expensive. <laughs> There's like no one in the middle ground. <laughs> it's like, I, well, you do this or you spend 10 times as much <laughs> if you want these features. Yeah, it's like you have a thousand transactions a month and it's this or, much, a thousand and one, yeah. and it's. Or just like shop. For instance, Shopify. Yeah. We love Shopify. Yeah. We've been on Shopify for 13 years. It's awesome. We've been on this plan for a long time. The next plan up is literally 10 times as much money. <laughs> and it's like, it's like it, there's some things that would be really great to do. And like there's companies doing them. And it's like good user experience, really good. But it's like 10 times more expensive. Like what? Why isn't there something in the middle? And that's why to me it feels like there's kind of like small, really small micro businesses, a couple people. And then there's things that are like, you know, $5 million revenue, like plus. And it's just like, but when you get to this middle ground, you're in it for too long. You ultimately, you go one way or the other way, and like that's all anyone seems to do. I guess, right? I don't know. Yeah, it is a question. But I do feel like I have this this same feeling that you do of like, do I ever want to hire someone? And I feel like I feel like there's a long way we can go, utilizing technologies, utilizing different companies. You know, what, who can we bring in? Like, who? What company can we use to do this part, that yeah. part, that part? Rather than hiring someone to pick something off of yeah. the shelf for us, right? Like, I, I, I think I have the same tendency that you do. Of like, there's got to be something out there that can do this, that, and that for yeah. us. But I think there is potentially, you know, you kind of wonder if like Shopify kind of just like dominated so hard that like there would maybe be companies that could spring up that could fill that middle. But kind of Shopify just took the market and it's just they dictate it. Yeah, I don't know. I, I think the fact that they don't have a product in that middle ground means that there's probably not a customer for it. Like they're not dumb. So it's like it, it probably is honestly like you're either at this scale or you're at this scale. And like 
You know, like if, if, if we were at twice the two or three times the revenue, that 10x Shopify cost would not be a be no problem. Be like, okay, sure, whatever, you know. And so it, it, it's not like it's a bad product market fit. It's just like, it's not exactly where we are. And Well, maybe that's it though, right? Maybe what you just said is the reason why Shopify haven't got something in the middle. Because that there are certain companies that all they're going to do is just make like, x percent more revenue and they can afford it it will be expensive for them but it's affordable and so like maybe when you get to that middle level you're kind of like at least aspirationally trying to grow and so you're like all right we'll just eat this for a while (laughs) because later on we've got it covered yeah and that's the question right like that's the question because i think there's all these dynamics that we just don't understand yet that are the, the, the more I know about like business practices is there are more ap- applicable rules of thumbs than you would guess. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, just all kinds of strange things. Like I, this is a tangent, I guess, but it's interesting. It demonstrates a point where I, we were talking to someone who's like a business consulting person. And they were saying like, you can expect that you get like 120% of the value out of a hire. So, like, let's say you hire someone for $100,000. You would expect that you get 120000 You make, like, 20% off that hire. Yeah. And I was like, how could that be that that is, like, a rule of thumb across industries? And they're like, well, the reason is if, you, if there was a business that existed that could hire a, an employee and they got 300% of the value, everyone would go into that business really quickly and the market would correct and it wouldn't be that way anymore. And so you're like, oh, yeah, that does make sense. <laughs> and so it's like, how many of these things, how much of this, of what we're doing can at, can actually be modeled and somewhat predicted because of market forces? And we've just been kind of playing it intuitively and it's been working out. But it's like, oh, this feels not, I still don't believe this, but it could totally be true that it's like, here, you make these moves, these steps, and you, we can predict with like 80% certainty that you're going to grow to this thing right and it's having that kind of being in that stew and that soup a little bit is a really interesting place where it's like what really you could predict that like no you could kind of predict it right and so um it's just interesting coming from this like kind of design product focused background to be doing more like working on the business that are working in the business kind of thing and and just getting more introduced to these kind of concepts it's just interesting. I think we're still going to run this thing from a very organic, intuitive place, but it uh, it's nice getting like pushed around, you know, by some of these ideas. And that one twenty, like that one hundred twenty percent thing, is really interesting to me. Of like, I mean, I get it, right? That like it's got to be at least a hundred, because otherwise <laughs> it doesn't work from a business yeah. standpoint. What's the yeah. point, right? What's the point? Yeah. But then that like 20% is just like, there's obviously something about that, whatever it is, right? That like, it is the absolute (laughs) maximum that it can go to before it corrects. Well, I don't think it's the maximum. It's just, you know, it's like an average, you know, it's all these, all these things are gray, but yeah. But like that average is just. The fact that there's a rule of thumb at all is the crazy (laughs) thing, right? Like the fact that that is like a thing that exists at all seems crazy, (laughs) right? And, uh, but it's, you know, it makes sense what you think about it. It's like, oh yeah, if there was this huge arbitrage opportunity to like make all this money in this one industry, everyone would move there and then it would settle out. I mean, that makes perfect sense, mm-hmm. right? And it makes sense that like a 20% return on investment for that kind of thing makes sense. Cause that's kind of what people expect for a whole range of investments, right? Mm-hmm. So it's like, okay, that actually makes sense. Uh, so, you know, obviously like 
there's obviously going to be cases where that's way different and stuff, of course. But yeah, it's just um, it's a lot of food for thought, and it's it's nice, like I said, getting yeah, just just kind of being in this place where we don't know the answer anymore, and we're open to changing. We know we're changing, and so it's like. Well, what are the options for change? Like, what could we do? Let's get a bunch of different advice. Let's get a bunch of different opinions. And I think three, like a month ago, it really felt like we had laid everything out on the table. We were like, here's the options. Here's the stuff. And we were starting to make decisions. But then this ad thing just like worked. And so we're like, it immediately made a lot of things really clear. It was like, oh, okay, here's what we got to do. Boom, 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 boom. And so that was... That yeah. that was really good, uh, and I hope that we, in a month or two, get ourselves like level out again, so we can lay that stuff on the table again, <laughs> and be like, okay, yeah, what do we do here? And then we'll pick another thing mm-hmm. out. So we'll see, see what happens. Because there is even in that ads thing the exact, it is an exact example of why you need to go back to the table. Mm-hmm. Because you did something and it worked and now it's like all hands on deck. But it's like that's not what you want. No, not all the time. Like realistic, right? That the business can have changes, good and bad. And it do- and like there are processes in place and knowledge in place that maybe you make slight calls corrections, but it doesn't like take over everything, right? Like that's not re- – that realistically, that's not what you want the business to be. Like it should be able to like – ebb and flow through things rather than all hands on deck although this is a good all hands on deck yeah it's still like uh, it's forced your hand to do things which realistically is not ever the way that you want to run your business like you want to have control in it as opposed to feeling like there's some force that's pushing you to do something yeah yeah it's it's good big change change changes in the air (laughs) big change do you want to play the song yeah i'll play the song you said song it's groovy <laughs> you said song so it's groovy it's good i like it so we have written in a document today iphone longevity and cases yes. this is uh this is a short one but just something i've observed where i don't know how you gentlemen feel but I feel like three, two years ago, three years ago, four years ago, we've we've reached a point where not only are regular people holding on to their phones for longer, but a lot of nerds who would typically upgrade their phone every year are just starting to see very diminishing returns and doing that. So... Just for me personally, I have a 13 Pro, and I think there's like a very low chance that I'll be getting a 15 this year. So it's just like, it's been a while since I've had an iPhone for three years. Like it's, I was usually doing one year or two years, and that feels like completely fine. Like I don't feel like I'm really having to suffer <laughs> by doing that. Like something has changed in the, in the last, I don't know, three, four five years where you're just seeing, uh, kind of diminishing returns in the year over year upgrade cycle. But one thing I've noticed that is, uh, 
tricky about that. And this is like a new problem. Cause like I said, I was upgrading every year, every two years is cases. The phone can last for several years, but cases you sometimes they get a little dingy and you want to replace them more often. Mm-hmm. And it becomes challenging to buy a case for a phone that's two years old, three years old, four years old. Oh, if you want to replace the case on an old model phone. That's true. And so it'd be, and now, so I like literally just bought a another case for my phone, even though I don't really need to replace the case currently because I like plan, I plan, and I <laughs> saw fine. it was like they were actually out of stock of the color I like. And so I was like, do you have any more of these like in your warehouse, like somewhere? And they're like, oh, we do actually. So I was able to grab one, but it was lucky. <laughs> like otherwise, I would have not been able to get it. So what is your case of choice? I'm interested. What's the case of choice? It's the Pataka Easy Mag, or I don't know what it's called. So actually, funnily enough, I think Gruber just wrote a post about iPhone cases on Daring Fireball. And like this was like this number two case that he recommended. And I've talked about it on ATP, too, I think. But I like it because it's quite thin. It has MagSafe. And crucially, it doesn't have a lip on the bottom edge. So it's like swiping up from the Mm. bottom is satisfying. I don't like the carbon fiber look of these Pataka cases. I don't really like the look of it either, but well, I don't really like it at all. But the the black and gray one in person is actually pretty subtle. Like it just kind of looks like a black case and it's on the back of your phone. You're not really seeing it that much anyways. So that is my chief criticism of of these Pataka ones is I don't really love the look, but I like the feel of them. I like the grippiness. I like how thin they are. I like that the bottom edge is exposed. So it it checks, you know, nine out of 10 boxes. So that's what I roll with. I've heard people say this before. I believe I never had a problem with the lip on the bottom for using the gestures. It kind of felt like a thing that maybe at first is not, feels weird but you get used to it pretty quickly yeah so i so that was my experience is i thought i really wanted the uh bottom edge to be exposed and then i got a case that had the lip and was like "Ah, i'll just get used to this i guess and i did and then i went back to having no lip and was like oh this is so much better (laughs) like i i i kind of you can certainly get used to and talk yourself into the bottom lip but i really really enjoy they're not being there. I actually want, so on the Pataka case, there's a cutout on the left edge for the buttons, for the volume buttons in the mute switch. I wish that cutout went all the way down the edge so that the left edge was exposed as well for like back swiping. That to me would be perfect. The whole way? Wouldn't, wow, would the case stay on? Oh yeah, how would it stay on? <laughs> no lips! The corner would still be there. The corner. Yeah. So I've seen, I've seen cases that are literally like, a backplate and four corners, but like all edges are exposed. So I don't need that necessarily, but like if the bottom edge is exposed and the left side edge is exposed, like that would make me really happy. Like that's kind of what I want. I think Rhino Shield, maybe one of the companies that make those kinds of cases, I think like the ones where they're just like holding onto the corners only or at least one of those but yeah i've seen those i I really don't like the look of that like i don't like the look of that at all but getting back to like the issue is like i think this is kind of an unsolvable problem because 
the current iPhone model is so much more popular. Like anytime someone is look shopping for a case, nine times out of 10, it's because they got a new phone and they need a new case for it. And so like, what is there a way to keep inventory of older models that's actually makes business sense? Or do people just have to train themselves to like buy two of a case when they get a new phone? I think they're to- with Apple products. I think absolutely they can keep, it's not that many SKUs, right? Like to keep cases. But the thing is, I think this is just, but even Apple don't, I know Apple doesn't, but, but I mean, there's so many third party. Yeah. I just feel like Dan, I'm with you in terms of, um, like my phone is gonna be three years old uh, in this the fall, and I don't think I'll upgrade. Right? Maybe I will. And so I think that a lot of people are probably, I would imagine, because you and I were like new phone every year for a long time, and then probably like every other. And I feel like this is gonna be. So I think the market will change. Like, like it seems reasonable to expect that you can get a case for a three-year-old phone, even though that may not be true. But I just mean like if if everyone was doing that, or like fifty or like eighty percent of people were doing that, then it feels like there's a market there. But I think it's probably never gonna be nearly that high. I think it's gonna be the vast vast majority of people that are buying cases are buying them for a brand new phone. Well, to be fair, actually, I'm on Apple Store. They still sell iPhone 12 cases on the store. Do they? Yeah, that may be changed at some point. You can get iPhone oh, 11 cases to still sell in those. Yeah, so just in my... So, like, for my very specific case of that, like, Pataka case, I feel like I got in, like, right... Like, their inventory is almost out of the, like, iPhone 13 model. Yeah, well, they're probably just a small company, and they just, you know, they can't. Right, yeah, so it's going to be, it's going to depend on, you know, what, but I think people kind of become attached to cases by specific makers, and then it's, you know, so it'll be something to keep an eye on. I think what's interesting is this question in general of, like, it feels broken that you need a case for this product, right? It's like, is really the, like, the actual solution that, you have a phone that you use several years and but you need a case like that feels a little wrong and so I, I will say I don't I haven't used a case on my phone for two years yeah and I I had one on this phone I had a case for like a year and then I stopped and I don't have a case on it anymore and so yeah I just wonder where that's gonna really settle you know like yeah because it feels it feels like there's got to be some other solution somehow. Yeah, it's a tricky it's it's a tricky problem, and th- and this actually goes back to that Gruber post I mentioned. Is he the point of that post? Is he was kind of lamenting the glass back of a phone, where it's like truly this is the worst yeah. material to use. <laughs> like it's it's he- it's heavy, it's <laughs> fragile. Yeah, it has yeah. it has you know radio transmission and like wireless charging, and it's a nice premium material. Like those are the reasons to use it, but every other reason, it's like a poor choice for a material. But it's like, well, is it going to be plastic? And it's like you imagine an iPhone. Imagine an iPhone where the case 
of the phone feels like a leather case, for example. It's like, oh, just build the case into the phone. It's like, mm-hmm. well, then your phone's going to feel really dingy after a year. Like, you can't replace that then. So it's like, what is, the kind of naked robotic core idea has some validity in that you can kind of refresh the exterior if you are keeping this phone for four or five years. Because any, I think feel like any material that is like grippy in the way that a case is, is just not going to be suitable for the exterior of a, of a phone. You know, it's, it's uh, yeah. Yeah. It's like a couch. It's like you do replace couches, right? It's like, it's, they just don't, those things are a durable couch or like a super durable couch is not a thing that should exist because it would be uncomfortable. And so, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I think, I wonder how long people will really keep their phones on average, right? I think we have reached basically super diminishing returns in terms of upgrade. And so like five years feels like a long time, kind of, but 10 years seems out of the question. Yeah, I reckon it's probably closer to two to three years, I reckon, on average. Yeah, so, but who knows? Like, for instance, I think the the state-of-the-art iPhone, brand new right now, I feel like I could probably keep that one for five years, because if the diminishing, if the returns keep being diminished, and I believe they will be, if I've kept this one for three without much pain, why wouldn't I be able to keep the new, the new one now for five? Because it's even better. Yeah. And so it feels like 10 years seems like not going to happen, but at five years, you, if you're a case person, you're going to be, have gone through a lot of cases or it's going to be real gross or, if you're not a case person, things are going to get really, I mean, things are going to really being dinged up. Like I'm looking at my phone that's two years old. I don't have any broken screen, but I have lots of like aluminum (laughs) edges showing through where it's been dropped and you, it's like scraped off the PVD Mm -hmm. finish or whatever. Right. Or anodizing. And it's like, I, you know, if I could take this in and get, get like some body work done on it, (laughs) where it's just like, Hey, make this like new looking again, replace the glass, replace the battery, redo the edges. And it costs 300, 400 bucks. Like, I don't know. That feels like that could happen. And I'm sure that exists. I'm sure you can do that, but like, it's just not built into the product. My my phone's in the shop. (laughs) Yeah. My phone's in the shop. I mean, you know, it's like, Oh, I had a, you know, like imagine a world where it's like, I dropped my phone and it's kind of trivial for it to just get fixed. Like, Oh, it's like, you know, 50 bucks. And it's just like, and I know that obviously there's phone repair and all this stuff, but it's like, to me, and maybe I'm wrong on this, but it feels like really expensive Mm -hmm. to do that. They're making it better with modern, the most modern models it's cheaper so like i don't remember off the top of my head but i know that previous models um with glass backs were like you're looking at like six hundred dollars to replace it because of the way they were built and i think now it is significantly cheaper to get that replaced now it's just they're just building them differently and that goes hand in hand with that you know like the self self self-repair program Mm -hmm. thing that they do now you know you can get like Mm -hmm. the tools and stuff i think that went hand in hand with this idea that now repairs are cheaper because they've had to build phones in a way to accommodate this like self-repair idea which is all just i mean it's good but like from apple it's like they're just trying to hedge against Mm -hmm. another regulation (laughs) thing coming for them right which is just this right to repair stuff 
So like they're just getting out ahead and it's just like, all right, we're going to make that cheaper. Like I love the idea of the phones not being glass on the back, but I also know if it was plastic and they charged me $1,000, that would annoy me too. Yeah. I feel like that that is like a thing I would have to get over that I don't know <laughs> if I'm ready to get over it yet. Like, yeah. you know, if they're like, oh, it costs the same amount of money, but now we're using a cheaper material. I'd be like, hmm. That would bug me. There might be some. I suspect there's some exotic resin or yeah. carbon fiber or something yep. that's a middle ground yep. that maybe we would yep. land on. Yeah. But yeah, feels like glass is going to be the way. Pretty good material. Uh, I have some follow up that I would like to address. Okay. Did either of you buy new computers? No. No. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> Any particular reason? Or are we just holding on to those as well? Okay. I've been busy. I that is not a problem I'm going to solve. It's like right. the I, it's like the work of having to like deal with that is per- particularly for me a thing. Yeah, we'll wait now. Oh, wait now. Yeah, wait now. Did something happen? No. Oh, but if you haven't bought them now, then you now might as well wait until June rolls around. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Just see, you never know. Uh, I'm just gonna get some VR goggles and just wear that. I don't need a computer that, that anymore. Your computer. Mac, Mac, right? We're all, we're all ski goggled up. Great. Yep. I'm just gonna be standing in my office waving my hands around. <laughs> the little nunchuckies. In air table. In air table. Like dragging the cards around. <laughs> Minority report. Minority report. It's so funny. When I was working in a design firm in, uh, 2009 we were doing some technology and we met with the guy from the media lab who consulted on minority report for that like hand gesture and he was building that actual technology i remember when that was the future 15 years ago and i wonder if this is a similar moment where it's like look guys it works it's like yeah it works but it sucks to use <laughs> i remember standing in the room with the minority port like technology same thing using it it's just like this is cool but not fun like mm-hmm. and i i just don't know i was funny we I, I take my kids to this like urban air trampoline park thing and they have like a vr you know like where you yeah. can do it and they don't seem to like it that much. Mm. It's not like they're like, oh my gosh, like, this is amazing, Dad. They're kind of just like, hmm. And so I wonder what that means. Yeah, I wonder with things like that, like, at their age, if they're just like, things are more new more of the time. So, like, a new thing maybe isn't so exciting. Yeah, like, to me, it's not even amazing to them at all. I mean, they don't yeah. even, like, play video games, but to them, they're just like, Whatever. Like, I don't think that they see a big difference between that and, like, a Jurassic Park arcade game where you're, like, shooting the dinosaurs. You know, like, I, I don't actually know if they think it's di- different or interesting, right? And they're completely blank slate. Like, they don't care. They don't know about technology news. And, yeah, I don't know. It feels, uh, I'm an old now, so I don't. Maybe you'll like it. Maybe you won't. Yeah. Give me the record players. <laughs> Thoroughly Considered is a joint production between Relay FM and Studio Need. You can find out more about this episode by going to relay.fm slash tc slash 97.